Welcome everyone to the All Out Coach Podcast. This is the show in which we cross over and we combine the best of different industries, platforms, in order to stay competitive with full sportsmanship as well as social responsibility. Today, I'm excited to have a top 100 global digital health influencer, Joao Bocas, with us, an expert who is going to discuss with us uh, some of the latest emerging innovations in digital wearable healthcare devices today. Joao, how are you today? Very nice to meet you. Tim, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for um, having me and this magnificent introduction. By the way, I love the video with the sports and everything. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a, uh, and speaking of sports, uh, I read that you have a sports background. Uh, I know you're joining us from uh, England and you're originally from Portugal. So I want to ask you if uh, your sports background had an inspiration in pursuing a career and a business in uh, digital wearable devices. Well, to a certain degree, yes. But let me tell you a bit about myself. As you mentioned, I'm Portuguese, living in the UK the past 20 years. But in my childhood, um, I always been, I mean, I always been in love with sport. So I play soccer, football since early age. I play tennis. I play table tennis. I play basketball, volleyball. In Portugal, is very a very rich uh, combination of sports. And actually, by the way, when I moved to UK, this is a bit of a personal story. When I moved to UK, I hated life in England because I didn't speak English. I was doing those the job those jobs no one wants to do cleaning and uh, 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 working in kitchens hotels restaurants and then i graduated with a sports degree and for many years in uk for maybe like over 10 years i worked in professional sport for a local club now is a premier league club right in the north of Albion. i work with the academy and the community kids coaching sport but i've always been very active as a runner I started to do the triathlons in my 40s. I always been like a sports lover and I love to watch sport. I love tennis, football, running, triathlon. I, I watch a combination of sports. So I'm very influenced as a person by sport and I love everything associated with sport. The motivational side of things, the performance, the challenges, the winning, the mindset, everything. So I think that to a certain degree has helped me as an entrepreneur. And I believe that is a strong combination of sports and health and wellness. So it's a natural kind of progression for me to go from sports, fitness and health. Because I was working in corporate wellness for a number of years and then I just branched out to healthcare technology. It was a kind of a natural progression. So yes, they interlinked in my opinion. Yeah, I have described Jose Mourinho, the celebrated global coach, on all our coach, actually. I've spoken about him quite a lot. And I know that he himself never really reached the Premier League in Portuguese, yet he has become such a, you know, an idol, right, in coaching. So I, I'm quite uh, fascinated by your country, Portugal, and, uh, and also always interweave that sports component, you know, that competitive component into the science in medical affairs and my background as well. I want to ask you a question which may be helpful for those who may not be experts about wearables. 
how do they separate the signal from the noise among all of this new information that's coming out in digital wearable devices? Very good question. Well, the, the wearables are kind of, they have a long history, like from the 15th century, Chinese century, that they, they had like some measurement on a, on a like wristband. They used to do counting activities. But in all essence, the fitness wearable trackers, they've only been around since like 2009. Fitbit launched in 2009 and then in 2011, they have a more upgraded fitness version. But I would say now we see the smartwatches and the progression with all types of wearables. But I believe we have to differentiate in here the purpose, the usage, and also the individuality. It's very personal, you know. So, for example, people that just want a wearable for personal health and fitness, if we talk about the healthcare industry, is a completely a different ballgame. So I would merge into very strong categories, the consumer health and then the medical device. So consumer health and medical device. So, uh, so what, what are some of those differences between the new Apple uh, watch that I recently read about, right? The Fitbit and the ones uh, in which you help many different organizations as a consultant or some of the ones that you're watching now. Are there particular ones that pique your interest, Joao? Yeah, sure. I mean, the Apple Watch is very popular. I, I personally, I like smart watches, but I believe that we are entering a different phase that the smart watches will become maybe obsolete in five or ten years' time because now we have smart rings, we have the Aura ring, anyway, it displays all the sleep data, heart rate variability, fitness activity, but we are entering a different phase in wearables. They're becoming more um, uh, sophisticated, smaller, they go in different places. We have like um, um, at the airports, we have like earrings, we have smart belts, you name it, smart shoes. Right. But what I see now is also a bit of a conflict, not to get controversial around Apple, but Apple is actually uh, innovating around, for example, uh, some medical data, but they position the wearable is not as a medical device, as a wellness device, but it's actually carrying out a medical data. And now you see you got ACG, you got like heart rate, you got lots of different things. So I think it's a, it's a bit of a, it's confusing for the consumer and also is a lack of direction and a lack of guidance because, okay, we have all these capabilities, but then what we do with it? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there are many there are many challenges associated with that, and I've done actually a 159 pages report around health consumer wearables engagement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and from the from the device side, interoperability, battery issues, and comfortable people. They say after a while they don't want to use them, but one of the things that came up very very strongly was personalization, because when the big brands do a wearable. In general, it's kind of impossible to personalize to every individual. But personalization was one of the issues and also a lack of guidance, you know, from mm-hmm. a user-related a user-related barrier. People mm-hmm. need a bit more than just the wearable, you know. They need right. certain guidance about making the most out of the data, the usage, the engagement. 
because the long-term engagement is an issue. About half percent of the people after six months, they stop using them or because they lost them or they forgot to charge or they mm-hmm. broke the pattern or you leave them on the top of the fridge. And I've been guilty of that so many times. And I had so many wearables, uh, Tim. I tested like lots of different wearables and brands. And I yeah. know what it's like. I know what it's like. So the long-term engagement is extremely important. No engagement, no data, no data, no value. Yeah. So it's a bit more than just the wearable. It's, there are other elements that are extremely important. Uh, I like the way you summarize that. And what you touched on now is how do you really apply that information, right, from that data? And I, I have the same question uh, that pops in my head in terms of how do you really validate that accuracy, that, how accurate the data is as well, and the privacy, you know, of the uses of these wearables. And I know there are some digital therapeutics that are approved by the FDA that Pair Therapeutics has for substance abuse for or for respiratory uh, issues that are combined uh, with uh, technology that's combined with a an inhaler, for example, mm-hmm. uh, right? And uh, so, wh- how do you? What, what are your what, what are your approaches to the validity of the data and the accuracy and the privacy issues that can? Sure, that's a very important question here. I think to start with, uh, we're gonna narrow down to these two segmentations: yeah? the the medical okay. device and the, the consumer. Yeah. Okay. The consumer health, they, they present actually between brands, without mentioning any names, but I've done lots of studies and, and been involved in many, uh, with many wearables. And between a brand, for example, it can give you a 20 or 25% discrepancy from one wearable to other, your fitness diet or your steps or your sleep. Mm-hmm. So that represents a challenge in terms of medical in the medical industry if you have for example a discrepancy of right. of your heart rate or your heart rate variability or your temperature and for decision for clinical decision making i mean that's not good because you want to make a decision with the patient but also the medical device industry is regulated by the fti so they need to have a certain level of accuracy and they inspire some kind of trust and also in UK by the MHRA, the Medical Device and Healthcare Regulatory Agency. Okay, mm-hmm. so that gives you a bit more, let's say, trust that the accuracy is kind of there or thereabout, with with very little discrepancy. But the other issue that is um, uh, is here present to us is there is no really benchmark because it's a kind of a new emerging industry, right? There is no benchmark to say, actually, this is, you need to do certain things to get the regulation and get approved by the authorities and everything, of okay, studies and, but there is no benchmark for the industry as such. There is no like, okay, let's compare, for example, if we're talking about the car industry, you can say from a hundred years ago, compare the motors, the pollution, you can compare lots of different things. In here, there is no really benchmark because it's a new industry. So and sorry to interrupt. Are you um, uh, referring to to all wearables at this point, consumer health or in general? In general, general, right? There is no benchmark for the industry. You know, there is a lot more work to be done to create. I mean, a a more a more proposal. I mean, benchmark for users, for innovators, for those using wearables. I think. 
there is a lot of work to be done. In terms of regulation, there's a, there is a clear path to be regulated if you are a medical device, certain things that you have to do. But then there is no no benchmark for users, for providers, for I think mm -hmm. is a lot is a lot missing, you know. Yeah. Uh, so to, to make it clear for those who might be listening, and by the way, we're live right now on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. So make sure to post your comments. We're getting some likes uh, right now on Facebook, by the way. Joao, um, I, I want to ask to clarify, uh, do, do you stratify the different kind of clients with, which whom, with whom you work? Um, you know, are, are, are there particular companies with which you work exclusively or primarily to help them differentiate their products in this industry? Uh, up, up, up till now, Tim, to be honest, I work with lots of different brands, but up till now I try to stay independent. I'm not associated mm -hmm. with a brand as such. There are some brands that I prefer or work right. more often, uh -huh. uh, but I've been doing quite a lot of consulting more on the healthcare side. Okay, for example... Okay. Um, advising healthcare companies, what is out there? I've done a lot of projects on scrutinizing the market and say, look, these are 10 wearables for these. And instead of, for example, a large pharma company or a healthcare or life science organization spending six months or nine months mm -hmm. researching the market, I've done that intelligence. As I, I can say in a couple of weeks, saying, look, and put them in touch with also with the providers to exchange ideas, pricing, uh, research case studies. So I've done a lot of work in that regard. Um, I try to stay agnostic as I'm not a wearable, but as a, as right. a professional. Okay. Right. And I try to stay independent and advise them as best as I can and bring my network and my expertise into the, into the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, so w would you say it has become uh, easier to bring a new wearable to the market for patients and health care consumers access? Or could you summarize that process now, how it's, as it stands today? I would say, Tim, to, uh, not to want to play devil's advocate, but right. I would say it's actually harder. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of regulation, it's probably easier because there are more devices regulated than the FDA and other institutions. Okay, if there is a level of... Uh, a level of satisfaction they will approve okay if there yeah. is a study and they, they they are reliable and everything but i i would say that in terms of entering the market is become harder and harder because there are more medical devices the big players have more money for marketing so mm -hmm. this, i know a lot of small innovators that have a great product and i'm finding very difficult to for example raise money and and go to market because it's a bit of a catch-22. You got a great product, but if nobody knows about it, if you don't have money to splash money in marketing to say, look, this is my, pro my product globally. Right. So you're fighting against several barriers in here. You're fighting against, or not just the money, but you're fighting against not having money to compete with the other products the the launch to the marketplace and then the reliability of the product so there are certain things that kind of in my eyes are becoming more and more difficult to overcome because there are more innovators and the ones that are in the marketplace they advance their technologies they launch version 2 version 3 and new products and they are established 
So I think it's becoming more difficult in a way. Okay. So then what are some of the key factors that, that play the most important role in the adoption, you know, and utilization of these wearables? From, from a user-related um, engagement, I would say in terms of adoption, the lack or the increase of intrinsic motivation is extremely important, okay? So, for example, if you are diabetic and if you need to use a device every day, you do it for that purpose, yeah? For, for the adoption of the consumer market is much different. People are motivated by different factors or fashion or looking good or, right. or you know, whatever that is. But there are certain things. You mentioned privacy before and security. Yeah. Uh, there are some other other barriers that actually need to be overcome in terms of increasing adoption, even ethics and privacy, because nobody wants to use a wearable to kind of, nobody wants to track them. So people are actually suspicious about the big farm organizations or to have a big brother because they the employer know how many hours they're going to sleep last night. Or, so there are a couple of things that ethically need to be overcome. And by communicating that openly with employers, providers and everything. But there are also like other things that as an individual, people need to understand. I, I would say you need to ask yourself the question, why do I want to use a wearable? Everybody's got different um different levels of motivation or you want to lose weight or increase your physical activity or sleep more or I've, me particularly i'm fairly active i'm not interested in my steps but i'm interested in my sleep you know mm -hmm. I'm interested to you know i'm sleeping it's become a luxury these days right yes. in the pandemic yes. and and it's extremely important for performance you know we're talking about the sports background before i'm sleeping yeah. five six hours i i need to be sleeping seven all right so Same thing. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm keeping one eye on that. The 10 or 12,000 steps is not that important. For me right now, it was important maybe six or seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. So things change and I'm driven by a different lack of, uh, different type of information and, uh, and motivation in these days. But there are other things that stop the adoption. Um, the price from the consumer market is different, but in the healthcare market is always an issue because who's gonna pay for the device? The healthcare mm -hmm. providers uh, know uh, the healthcare systems, they don't have money, the governments, they don't really want to pay for it. The insurers are also trying to kind of see what's going on first instead of subsidizing and investing. So mm -hmm. it's always this, it's always these uh, um, issues to, to overcome. The price is not a big issue, but in the healthcare market, as a private industry, is is the issue. I mean, if you don't buy yourself a blood pressure monitor or a smartwatch, in principle, nobody's gonna give that to you, even even if if there is a direct benefit. So there are some pitfalls in here in terms of adoption. But I think what happened now is I think COVID really, the pandemic highlighted a lot of the the potential for wearables and mm -hmm. also what can be done in digital health. Because let me picture this scenario. A few months ago, with the middle of the pandemic, we couldn't go to hospitals, we couldn't leave home, we couldn't right. go to a doctor. So how do we keep an eye, for example, on monitoring patients? 
managing their conditions, uh, try to reverse their condition, try to keep an eye on what is important to, I mean, to act on or not. So, and the answer is with wearables, because the wearables uh, uh, gather information, gather intelligence, and give you a picture of what's going on with that person at a particular time in a particular setting. So I think the, the adoption is actually, um, we entering a different phase of adoption mm -hmm. and we are seeing a lot of progress now. And about 20, 25% of the adult population, for example, in UK, have a wearable. So it's not like a, a novice thing that right. is not a new thing. You know, the people have Apple Watches, Fitbits and, you know, even your mobile, even your mobile now with the health apps, they give you a lot of data. So I think we are entering a, a mass adoption phase now where we, we actually can really dive into the data and market intelligence and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're in the age of information and the age of data now. A lot of the wearables can help bridge potential gaps in healthcare as well, which I know I'll, I'll ask you about. One, one question that I want to uh, also pose here is what kind of specific tips do you have for different companies that are interested, different businesses that are interested in entering this emerging and now crowded market? How do they differentiate their wearable device? Yeah, good question. Tim, I mentioned some of my views around Mm -hmm. uh, entering the market is becoming more difficult and right. more challenging, competitive. But I would say understanding the marketplace is important, the product market fit, but also um, what is really important is the positioning of the product. Yeah. Okay. If we target, if we're targeting healthcare providers, you position important to kind of understand like what is the product doing for who, you know? So it, it's really important because I, I, I've done that in the past with it, my startup days and I've seen a lot of companies kind of having a product and try to kind of gather for any anybody. So it's important to find a, to in the first place, find a differentiator, but then working on, working on, um, the positioning of the product. And that in our days, it can be the positioning in marketing, it can be the positioning using influencers, it could be the positioning of the message, it could be the position of looking sexier than the next product. Is a lot of different things to, to con certainly to consider. But I would say, try things out, but have a clear, a clear strategy and vision where you're going with it because mm -hmm. it is not it's not an easy thing to do that you can be trying things for two or three years otherwise the companies they just die right. in a hard way <laughs> yeah yeah when they don't adapt uh, so can you share some of uh some of the preview some preview into your approaches at digital salutem uh where you're a ceo uh, you know, can you share just a glimpse of your organizational structure or just, you know, what what particular marketing or other services you offer? Sure. Tim, one of the things that we've been doing uh, recently, I have a YouTube healthcare channel, by the way. It's called mm -hmm. um, Digital Health and Wearable Series for big brands. I'm interviewing uh, global leaders every week from public leaders to 
CEOs of um, healthcare organizations. Anyway, I would say with Digital Solutum, I have a big vision to make healthcare uncomplicated, and I'm on a mission to kind of use technology to make healthcare better. Okay, but in terms of the in terms of the company, we have a global ambition. We are based in UK, but work globally with lots of different brands. And recently, I've been working with a lot of um, very large brands. And we have the marketing side where we leverage my networks, which I've been doing the last seven or eight years. I built a, a big following on Twitter, LinkedIn. So we're helping healthcare organizations to be well known and get reputation in their own industries. But also now we have the digital health transformation side that we help healthcare organizations to ramp up digital transformation very rapidly with adoption of a world-class technology. So we have these two streams of the business. Great. Yeah, I caught a few of the episodes on your YouTube channel. I enjoyed them. Slowly becoming an expert, not nearly there yet, uh, but this is a, certainly an area of uh, huge interest for me. So, so you mentioned the quality of healthcare and the vision that you have to make healthcare less complicated. I, I really appreciate that because I think a lot of the innovation uh, is reflected in simplicity, you know, in its simplicity. And I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I mean, the, the corporate wellness background that you have also makes me think of uh, 15 years ago uh, when I was at AstraZeneca, when we are all of the employees were handed, uh, handed a pedometer and they were grouped into teams in which they competed against each other on how healthy or how, more, how many more steps their teams uh, you know, actually made. And simple solutions like that are still highlights in my mind. You know? And I know that tech technology capabilities have increased exponentially since then in terms of what you can do with wearables now. What are some best examples then of metrics that show improvement of patient outcomes? Are there particular episodes or metrics that you've seen that you can share with the audience of how they've helped, you know, patient outcomes directly? Sure. I mean, uh, it's a particular case in here, for example, in, um, in diabetics, you use a device to kind of, is a kind of a need, isn't it? It's a need, you need yeah. the insulin, you need to gather information, you need to check and you need to see where you are. And, and now we're entering a different phase that, Actually, there are medical devices that start to uh, tell you how much insulin you need in the body by being with you 24-7, which is a revolution. But also, mm -hmm. what I'm seeing now is the wearables bringing a lot of data value, for example, from ECG to body temperature, SpO2, respiratory, right? And these uh, uh, parameters of health data are correlated with most diseases. So, for example... There are wearables that offer you eight, nine, ten data sets. And in all essence, the doctors, they don't have time to, to go through the data and you go there with your feet with and say, look, this is what I've done the last two weeks or the last month. But the clinicians will use maybe two data sets, for example, or heart rate and body temperature or, or heart rate and your CCG from last, ACG from last week. So I, I think... They produce more rich data by improving health outcomes. It goes back to the simplicity of understanding the data. It's more about translating the data into meaningful information, which I believe is the challenge now because the wearables, and I talk to a lot of people, 
they're producing too much data. Right. So, and that represents a challenge for the industry and the clinician itself. But they certainly add a lot of value in saying, actually, I can see a trend in here that your heart rate is up or is down in the last three or four weeks. So that's the health outcome that you want to identify as quick as possible, you know? And that's yep. where the wearable bring a lot of value, in my opinion. Yep. And that brings me to my last question, Joao, because I'm very curious about how to make healthcare more continuous. You know, there are various models of healthcare globally. Uh, I'm most familiar with the one in the United States because I've lived here in the last 30 years of my life. And, uh, and I still see a lot of the care that's fragmented, that's disjointed as patient goes from one physician to the other, from one healthcare system to the next, where their electronic medical records, their data may get lost. And that can significantly worsen their outcomes as well as the decisions, the critical medical decisions that take place. So my, my, my question, my philosophical question to you is, can, do you believe that wearables can bridge the fragmented that healthcare you know, and improve the quality? Ultimately, well, very, very, very complex question in a, in a sense because right. let me try to make sense of this because what we're seeing today. I was actually in a health conference in here in UK, health tech mm -hmm. department with some public health leaders, and most people outside UK think the NHS is one organization, but it's mm -hmm. not. It's two hundred and fifty disjointed, independent organizations using different systems with different budgets, with different processes, with different leaders. So that tells you the story, right? Uh, yeah. If you go to Manchester, you have your health records. If you come to London, you're not going to have your data in London because they use different providers. And also they buy off a provider for uh, five years and then, I mean, you can't get out of the contract. So it's, very, it's a very difficult challenge to overcome. So that challenge is not uh, exclusive to United States, I guess. No, no. It's, yeah. it's a common reality. Yep. I think wearables will not actually help improve this because they bring more data and more complexity. Yeah. I see. Okay. I think, I think wearables will not help this in any shape or form. What okay. needs to be done is a piece of work that is... Um, planning and processes around all these and changing kind of the infrastructure. I see. I'll give you a couple of examples, uh, Tim, of good practices, excellent practices. Mm -hmm. If you see Slovenia, for example, I know it's a smaller country, right. but there is the most digital economy in the world. Okay. Oh, and wow. they, have, they have all their health records in one place uh, because they've done a lot of planning ahead. They said, let's say, the last 10 years, they said, right, in three years, we're going to have all the electronic medical records in here. And they've done all the background work. You see, I like Finland as well. And, um, and Denmark, I very much like the innovators in the Nordic countries are really, really good. Anyway, Finland is a really hotbed for digital health, but also for wearables. Many, many wearable, well-known brands came from Finland. But all this to say, yeah, but all, okay. this to, all this to say, we can learn a lot. And this is a bit about learning. I don't know it all. I've been learning too. But I learned a lot the past five, six, seven years about the Nordic markets. 
And what they've done was they plan ahead, they execute well, they also have a more um, open approach in public health to try things out, to let the innovators work with them, and they are a bit more um, uh, less fragmented and a bit more united. Sometimes, Tim, the nature of the country helps in that regard because they have, for example, a smaller population, you know, five or six or ten million is much harder to, in, is much, sorry, is much easier to innovate and say, let's get the electronic re medical records in one place than 300 million in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. But there is no excuse. The process of execution is the same. Let's plan ahead and do this. So mm -hmm. they've done extremely well. And I think in these countries, oh, actually, the, I'm not a political person, but in these countries, yeah. the, political, the political system is less aggravated than in other parts of Europe and other parts of North America or South America because is less tension with the political system. Actually, things work better. They support the innovators. They support the adoption. They support the benefit for the infrastructure for the healthcare. And the proof, as they say in England, is in the pudding. And they see the results. If you go to Slovenia, they have the electronic medical records in all hospitals. If you go to Finland, the same thing. If you go to Denmark, the same thing. And we are lacking behind. In here in UK, now there are organizations, NHS Digital, NHS X, they're doing a lot of good work to bring this all together. But because we're so fragmented and we're so behind, I think it's going to take a few years to actually get everything um, in one place. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joao, for a wonderful global perspective and outlook on healthcare wearable devices. I know I learned a lot as others that listened, that watched. I want to leave the last word to you and share any final message or any requests that you have. Oh, Tim, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your very good questions, I must say. I wish you all the best with your show. I would just say follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, connect with Digital Salute and we're doing great work in a digital transformation healthcare space and also follow my YouTube channel, Joao Bocas on YouTube, Digital Health and Wearable Series. Thank you very much, Joao. Thank you, Tim. Thank you.